the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, guys, uh, we are here at last. Uh, we have gone through our summer of just bizarreness. Um, it's one, also, one word I mean, for it. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to sugarcoat God. a little bit. Um, you know, try not to drop f bombs at the right off the top of the show. Um, save that for like maybe five <laughs> minutes in or something like that. Um, but yeah, so you know, we've gone through our summer previews. We've gone through a coaching change. We've gone gone through all the other shit that's come with it. Um, and here we are. We're as we're recording this um, on the 22nd of August. What like a week and a half from kicking off the season in East Piscataway against Rutgers. That's just, I, I, I'm still having trouble, like, really focused, like, getting to that point. I mean, I, I keep reading, like, these these previews, and we're about to do, do our preview of this team, and it just still doesn't feel like it's it's happening, right? It doesn't. We're, it's funny, we, we've gone so deep, we're going to go so deep on this team and all the research that we've done and everything and and there is almost that piece of it where I mean I think you're not going to get a heck of a lot of sugar coating here from us. I mean I think a lot of us know strictly from a football standpoint like where a lot of this is shaping up. But given everything like you said, the way that this summer went down, I think for us there certainly is an element of almost like we have dragged ourselves to the finish line of this summer. And you know I think you're all listening, you all feel the same way. We are all bedraggled and worn out from just going through this summer. And there certainly is that piece of it to be able to, I think, in the amount of depth we're going to do tonight, talk straight football here. Um, And I think, so there is that piece of it. But yeah, I think our heads are all spinning here um, just to be where we are right now, previewing this team and the current iteration that it is. But we're going to knuckle down. We're going to give you our best here. I I am gonna apologize. Apologize might not be the right word, but I'm gonna, I guess, just to prepare people so it's not shocking. Like, there's a couple of key things that as we get here that like, you cannot talk about these things without bringing up what's happened this summer, and hazing and some of the like. We're speculating. I'm speculating a little bit. I guess I'll say on some of the potential impacts on the team, but like, um. So it's it's going to come up, but yeah, for, for the most part, like we're talking football, and we're gonna we're gonna go deep. I mean, as, as deep as we can, knowing and like knowing oh, what yeah. we know, but there, there's <laughs> right. there's so many unknowns. Yeah, I mean, the most like the most impossible uh, task that we've had in ten years. Yeah, I mean, like the one the one word I'm using to like kind of describe previewing this team is just like shrug emoji, like err. Because, right. you know, you, you could see so many different things happening. Like, you could see, you know, Braun coming in trying to make a stamp on things, trying to, like, shake everything up and, you know, letting Bajaki and cut loose and you know, showing a completely different defense and, like, remaking the team. Or you could see something else happening. Like, neither one of those would surprise me. Like, does, what would surprise you about this team? I mean, we're, we're I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm success and a bowl, which I mean, I mean, we can be frank about that right off the top, right? Yeah. I mean, I think as as we go through, we're gonna try. I mean, in in a way, again, this like X's and O's piece of it, like we're gonna try to say like we let's separate 
as much of the absolute nightmare of this summer from this football team as much as we can and try to look at these things and try to kind of grab pieces from last season and project forward and what needs to happen and and all these things. And I think we're going to go through and we're going to kind of on, on each side of the ball enunciate specific problems that are at once so simple to describe. And they come with fixes that are so simple to describe and yet could be so far away. But we're going to try to map those out and be like, look, like we're going to give you all the all the, you know, all the ins and outs of this. And like, this is how we see it. And like this gulf may be five feet wide. It may be a hundred miles wide, but we're going to describe it to you. And then we're going to see how it works. And then at the end of the day, you know, we all need to acknowledge that like three or four months from now, we may just look, be, be looking back and being like, well, none of that worked at all. And how could we have expected it to work given the situation that this team was in? We just don't know. Um, and so again, it's like, that's looming over everything. We're going to, to try to address that. Like Scuzz said, in some ways it's going to be directly connected. Um, but we're going to take you all through it on both sides of the ball. Um, I think we're all aware of the fact that before any of this, you know, again, nightmare unfolded on us this summer, we knew that this team was in a deep hole, um, with major, major problems. And, and those problems remain just as real as ever. So, we're going to we're going to take you through all of it and then you know we'll 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 map out every scenario that we can see yeah the 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 problems that we're facing this team long before July 1st uh were palpable and are the you know primary thing that <coughs> excuse me you're going to hear us talking about tonight um and there were years in the making and i think like I, I will I will I will share my bias here. I was going to mention it in my in my section on the offense, but I'll share my bias here a little bit. Like preparing this preview has made me really angry, and it has nothing to do with July. It has everything to do with last November, and the way this fan base was feeling, the some of the preposterous things that transpired the last two years in in the Northwestern uh, program. Um, the decision to keep the offensive coordinator, like the, these are things that like, I'm really, really upset about. And like the fans that are out there saying things like this program is doomed. They're never going to, you know, kiss Northwestern goodbye, all this sort of stuff in the wake of, of what happened last month with Fitz and everything. Like y'all are smoking some, something really strong because like eight months ago, we were all ready to move on for the Pat Fitzgerald experience. Yeah. And like, you're going to hear the reasons why in great detail right now. Yeah. And, and again, I think it, it's obviously we all know this fan base is incredibly split in terms of feelings. Again, it's like, it's so difficult to extricate this summer from everything else, but there are many, many people on the side of people who believe that Fitz didn't get a fair shake here. I'm saying there are many people in that camp who nonetheless believe that from a strictly football coaching standpoint, Fitz was not getting it done and hasn't been getting it done for a little while. And and I think that's the important thing to separate because we're not, we're not here right now to talk about the first part of that. Like I, right. I could it, not, I, I have zero interest in debating whether or not, Fitz is right. good or bad or or otherwise or, or what kind of shake he got or like it's binary and I'm too pragmatic like he's gone we're moving right. forward I'm a fan of this team like done yeah. I have some personal feelings I'm going to keep those to myself but like the focus here is is about the team and the decisions that have been made to operate this program 
Right. And I think it, if you look at kind of where we were and kind of where we've been and discussions that we had had prior to this summer and everything, I think so many of us, you know, we were, we, I think particularly were kind of in a situation where we were like, we would love to see some sort of transition period where like Fitz is moving towards more like he is focusing on the program building because no one can argue, right, that in terms of building the program and so many of the things that he put in place and everything, unparalleled, connection to the university, all of these things, right, and that so much of that was reflected in why recruits chose the school and why recruits chose Fitz and, and that building of this team. And then there's another part where the X's and O's stuff on the field was not cutting the mustard by any stretch of the imagination. And I think we were looking to be like, well, you know, maybe it'll be a situation where it's it's moving toward a point where there are coordinators and the coordinators are really running the show and Fitz handles the program part and et cetera, and et cetera. And it's like, well, that those days are past. We all are aware now that we're moving into a brave new era and we're going to see how that reflects itself in a bunch of ways. But one is going to be the actual X's and O's coaching piece of this and the way that shows up on the field. All right. So without beating around the bush any longer, let's let's dive in. I mean, you know, we always start with a look at the defense. Um, you know, we have we had a change in defensive coordinator, Jim O'Neill out, David Braun in. We were all very excited about David Braun coming in for very good reason. Um, and it's still going to be the David Braun defense. He's still going to be calling the defense. But, uh, John, take us through. Take us through. Let <laughs> me pause and take a long drink here. Um, the Yeah, so you're right, and you're right. You're right in that that has happened, and you're right in that it is incredibly complex. But there is this major thing, and like I said, I think there's a thing on Scuzz's side of the ball. There's a thing on my side of the ball. In, on each side, there's this thing that looms over everything. And we're going to get right into the thing that looms over the defensive side of the ball. So I'm going to tell you right off the top, as, as we're going through this defensive preview, that at times it's going to feel like the whole thing's about the defensive line. And it's going to feel really like the whole thing's about the interior defensive line. And that is two positions out of 11. I am well aware of this. But this is just the state of affairs of this defense right now, and there ain't no way around it. So I talked about this earlier this summer, but for anyone who thinks that just focusing on those two positions um, in the middle of that defensive line amounts to like ragging on a specific position group or like not seeing the, you know, quote, whole defense needs to understand that if you don't approach the Northwestern defense this way, you won't be able to see just how good a ton of the other guys were on this defense last year. So anyone who's throwing out statements like, the linebackers and safeties have to like step up and carry us this year, needs to understand those guys stepped up all of last year. Xander Mueller was, by any reckoning, one of the best outside linebackers in the Big Ten West. The stats, the eye test, that dude was awesome last year. And Bryce Gallagher had over 100 tackles. Rod Hurd, at safety or at star, wherever you want to put him, is the best athlete on our defense. And that guy played like a god in the muck against Ohio State and Penn State. Devin Turner, who obviously with Jeremiah Lewis transferring out, is going to play a ton more. Devin Turner is probably the best young football player on this team. That guy's going to be great. Grayson Metz, he didn't even play for most of the year because Hurd was on the field as that star so much in that package. And Metz was still Northwestern's sixth, sixth leading tackler last year. Metz had more tackles than Adetamo Adabare did. 
And Garnett Hollis, who didn't start the season because there were two corners starting over him, and he didn't finish the season because of injury, still forced a fumble against Penn State, still picked off a pass on the season, and in general, that guy looked like an absolute freight train against the run, especially considering that he was a cornerback. Those dudes are all very good football players, and it ain't just about the stats. We can zero in on three specific games where that core of dudes were just provided with, as I said earlier this summer, any oxygen and any chance to actually ply their craft in a football game. And it's three games that every one of you watched. Ohio State, Penn State, and Nebraska. Against Ohio State and Penn State, the weather conditions allowed these guys to expect run, to flood the box, and just be there in numbers to make plays. And they did again and again every single time. It is so easy to forget that with any kind of offensive game plan, Northwestern would have beaten Ohio State and would have altered the college football playoff. But when we talk about these three games, I specifically want to zoom all the way back to the start of the season in Ireland. So a few weeks ago, when we previewed the Huskers, Scuzz tried to bait me (laughs) a couple of times into something that I am finally going to address here. For those that are wondering why I'm laughing so hard, like this has come up multiple more times since our Nebraska preview. We're just like texting each other. I've said something to me like that has garnered a response from John. Like, don't, don't do it. Don't take me with Whipple. I'm saving it. Yep. So here you go. If you were a Northwestern fan last year, as we all know, you saw some rough offensive game plans. So it is important for you to remember that, even including the Ohio State game last year. The worst offensive game plan you saw last year, easily, is the one that Mark Whipple and Scott Frost brought to the Nebraska-Northwestern game. I still cannot believe that we spent (laughs) all of that summer talking about how Frost and Whipple might be dumb enough to actually bring that game plan to that game, and then they actually did the thing that we were wondering. Um... Nebraska decided to play to our relative strength for nearly an entire football game for no reason, other than that they were basically trying to make this 180-degree shift in overall philosophy uh, to save Frost's job. And as Scuzz mentioned in the Nebraska preview, that failed so fantastically that Frost was gone weeks later. So because of this game... They ate ate so much buyout by firing him like three weeks earlier than they... They could have saved a bunch of money if they just kept him around for a few more weeks. But they're like, no, get this guy out now. If if you're wondering specifically what we're alluding to, it's that in that game, a game that Nebraska was leading for a large portion, they attempted 42 passes and 31 rushes. Yep. And that's and the 31 rushes, too. That doesn't even really cover it because, like, there was never a commitment to running the ball in that game. And that's even when Nebraska went up. So, like, they allowed a ton of guys that I just mentioned, all the guys in the back seven who did great work last year, to focus on the pass, not to mention A.J. Hampton and Cam Mitchell, to focus on the pass and keep Northwestern in a game that, as we all know, turned into our only win of the season. But in the third quarter of that football game, with a four-point lead, Nebraska did something they'd basically been averse to doing all day. 
They pulled the backside guard and they ran a simple counter. And the 11 other teams on Northwestern's schedule saw what happened next. This play absolutely eviscerated Northwestern's defensive line. It was so successful that two massive holes were opened up. And Anthony Grant, Nebraska's running back, a back who would go on to play nine other Power 5 teams in 2022, carry the ball at least 11 times against every one of those teams and average a whopping 3.3 yards per carry, picked the wrong hole. And that hole was so big that he still went 46 yards to the house. Any competent coach would have seen this for what it was. Frost and Whipple did not. And as we all know, Frost immediately attempted the dumbest onside kick ever when he really had the chance to kick, give NU a long field, rest up, and then run, run, run for the rest of the game. But the point of this whole thing is that after that, we were out of Scott Frost's. And I'm not going to, we're not going to do the horror show recap here. We're not going to go blow by blow. I'm going to spare you all of that. And we're just going to fast forward all the way to the end of the season. To okay, Illinois. Pa- pa- this, yeah. the, fra- the phrase out of Scott Frost is, yeah. um, it's a lot more saddening to me than I expected it to be. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Especially in like a general sense in that, like in a general sense, that seems to be true across the entire big 10 with the way of the coaching blood that has come into this con this where, conference. Um, t- where were, where were the Tim Brewsters and the, uh, <laughs> and the, uh, the Gary Andersons and the, um, who was the bozo that was coaching Illinois for, for all those years? Um, I know Ron His- Zook. Well, Zook, no, but I, no, Tim Beckman. Beckman. Wither Beckman. Tim Beckman, Scuzz. Wither yes. Tim Beckman. Yes. God <laughs> damn it. Uh, but, <sighs> Sorry. But any, yeah, but anyway. And let's not forget the, the four coaches who are coming in next year, too. Uh, indeed. And speaking of relatively recent arrivals to the conference, let's look at Illinois. Um, so one could argue, and Scuzz made this case pretty effectively, that Illinois kind of tanked the back half of their season by simply kind of feeding Chase Brown into the line a billion times until his wheels kind of fell off. But suffice to say that by the time Illinois reached that finish line against Northwestern last year, Brown was basically done. He'd been seriously hurt against Purdue, and then they still fed him into the lines 29 times against Michigan, and then he barely made it to halftime against Northwestern. The point being, Illinois, who as we all know, had that game won by halftime, were even less creative than their usual uncreative selves running the ball, with a hurt primary back and a backup back, Reggie Love, who had 191 total rushing yards entering the Northwestern game. And here's what Illinois did again and again and again. They just came out with four wide, and they put trips, three wide receivers, to one side. And they knew what it always did in our defense, which is that that would pull Rod Hurd and one linebacker, probably Xander, out of the box. And then Illinois would just look at the one linebacker left in the box and say, we're not even going to block you. Here it comes. And that strategy was enough for Brown and Reggie Love to run for 150 yards at five yards a carry. Because when the hole in the middle of the line is wide enough to drive a truck through, the back is going to win the battle over the linebacker a ton of the time. It's just not a fair fight. And Northwestern was starting almost the exact same personnel at that point that they were starting against Nebraska at the start of the year, which against Illinois meant four defensive ends playing across the four defensive line positions at the same time. And here's where we are. This is where Northwestern is right now. As we've talked about at length, 
There's no one cause for this. But the fact of the matter is that you got failures in on-field coaching, recruiting, player development, and in the transfer portal, and it created a situation such that two injuries and one transfer at a single position group, defensive tackle, was enough to absolutely devastate this defense. And this is the hole that Northwestern has to dig out of right now. And the crazy thing about this situation is this goes to some of the stuff we were talking about at the top, some of the stuff that I know Scuzz is going to drill down on. But if we're just looking from the defense, if we somehow step back for a second and we ignore that nightmare of the past two months and we ignore all the long-term consequences of the hazing of Pat Fitzgerald's departure, of this total mess in the athletic department, and we just look at the X's and O's football in the here and now. The fact is, given the personnel this football team has right now, had heading out of 2022 and into 2023, the two biggest obstacles to Northwestern's defensive improvement, not including the personnel, were Jim O'Neill continuing to coach this defense, and Pat Fitzgerald refusing to play Ty Gant and Dylan Roberts nearly enough. We have mountains of precedent for both of these. I'm not going to spend time on the Jim O'Neill piece. You were all there. You all saw. Obviously, as Sam said, we have David Braun now, an exponentially more qualified DC. But obviously, Braun has faced this absolutely insane transition where he's nominally our head coach, nominally not our DC, but we don't really have another DC who's not him. But just know it's his system going into this year. It has to be David Braun's system. You have guys coming in, freshmen, who know no system. And O'Neill's gone and Fitz is gone. And DJ Vokalek isn't coming in a few weeks before the season to install his system. It's going to be Braun's system. So even though he's nominally not even the DC anymore, he still has to teach these guys his defensive scheme. So more likely, you know, most likely early on, it's going to be a pretty stripped down thing. It's going to look that way, especially given that, you know, we talked about this when Brahm was first hired. His system's pretty conservative anyway, and it looks a lot like our, the system we've been using. And given this colossal mess of the past few months and the, the install he's got to do, it's probably going to be pretty stripped down early on. So my guess is it's going to look like a pretty conservative version of what we've been seeing, um, at least at the start of the season. But still. Any change at D.C. in any way was going to be a step up for this team. We all know that, and that's a bit of good news. But then you get to the second piece that you all know like the back of your hand as well. Refusing to play talented guys early enough was a well-known Fitz downfall. And we could write a treatise about this from the running back position alone, but suffice to say, on defense, Xander Mueller, one of the West's best linebackers last year, basically didn't play for all of 2021, despite tremendous need at his position, and despite the fan base screaming for him to play. And if it could happen then... Tremendous need is an understatement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, then you look at how he played last year, which was awesome. This guy was one of the tackle for loss leaders for an outside linebacker in the Big Ten West in addition to his 80-something tackles that he had. Flew all over the field, made hits all over the place. But anyway, if Xander Mueller could be kept on the bench for an entire season, it could sure as hell have happened with two freshman defensive tackles, Ty Gant and Dylan Roberts. And some of you might be running ahead of me right now and saying, yes, that's right, because we're talking about two true freshman interior defensive linemen. 
Those guys are not college ready. They need time to get used to college. They need time to bulk up. And let me say, that is absolutely true for some other team at some other time. Let me make it absolutely clear where this team is right now. Combined, Ty Gant and Dylan Roberts had 19 Power 5 offers other than Northwestern coming out of high school. The entire rest of the Northwestern interior defensive line unit had one. One. That is where we are right now. Now, some of you more astute college football fans may be saying, wait a second, that's not true. Najee's story had a ton of Power 5 offers. And if you are thinking that, boy, am I glad you brought that up. So allow me to play out a hypothetical situation for you. A couple of years from now, at the conclusion of his Northwestern career, Najee's story goes to the Senior Bowl, where he proceeds to kick the crap out of everybody for a week. And then Najee's story goes to the Combine, uh, where he tests through the roof and looks incredible. And then every Northwestern fan has to sit through a couple of weeks of the nation going, well, if he's that talented, why weren't his college numbers higher as we all throw things at our television and scream? Does this sound familiar? It's going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course it does, because we've all been to this exact place before. You can't just take an extremely talented football player, bulk him way up, play him out of position, and expect it to work out. Hell, George Karloftis, an apex Big Ten football player, was wasted for an entire year at Purdue because Bob Diaco played him out of position. And we saw it happen a ton with Atatamoa, and we're seeing it happen with Najee right now. And look, for anyone who wants to continue this, is he a defensive tackle? Is he a not? Look, I mean, all I'll say is that, like, on one hand, like, if if you want to go down the Dean Lowry and Joe Gaziano were ends in this defense, but Najee's story is a tackle in this defense, like, be my guest if you want to go down that road, okay? Um, I, you know, I am like, he's a defensive end, but well, in the well, present, there's, yeah. there's a time and a place to, to, to do something like that. And we, we have seen Northwestern have success in past years. Third down. Like, well, the, the yeah. cheetah package, right? Like putting right. four ends essentially on the field. Now, granted, some of those ends playing DT were pretty big, but you have to stop the run on first and second down to allow that to happen. And that is like mm-hmm. the primary failing of Northwestern's defense the last two years. This is like everything that transpired with Jim O'Neill. And this is where I do. I have to go there. Three guys have left the defensive line room each of the last three years. Echoliota, who I recognize was a defensive end. Tara Edwards and Austin Firestone. They went to Auburn. Illinois, and Missouri, respectively. Firestone hasn't played yet. The other two were major contributors for Auburn and Illinois, fielding top 50, if not better, defenses in major Power 5 conferences. If you don't think that's a problem, yep. like you're, you're, you're kidding yourself, and more specifically, public tweets make it very clear that one of these guys transferred specifically because of hazing specifically. 
So yeah. whether or not you think it happened, whether or not you think it was a problem, whether or not you, you care or don't care about what Fitz knew, what he didn't know, how big a deal it was, it had a distinct, specific impact on the construction of this football team. Yeah, and we had, I mean, we had multiple defensive tackles, too. I mean, we're talking about two defensive tackles that were both big-time recruits. And one of them we know, Tara Edwards, is going to be one of the anchors of one of the best run defensive lines in the Big Ten West. Ar- already what, was last year. Yeah, yeah, Proven. yeah he that's, really was. That's what Illinois has. But speaking of Illinois, look, like in the present situation, given all of that, look, it's no one's fault, okay? Like in the present situation, if you look at Najee's story, where he has to play or where he could play, it's no one's fault. We didn't have the bodies at defensive tackle last year. So he had to play defensive tackle. Someone did, okay? But... Speaking of Illinois, like just know that Illinois knew that by doubling either him or Devin O'Rourke and then single blocking the other defensive tackle, they had a massive hole right in the middle of the line anytime they wanted it. And so did everyone else in the conference. That's just where we were. And I want to pause here. I specifically want to address something about Devin O'Rourke. So I was thinking about this this summer, um, specifically like when Simba Short's name came up in just heartbreaking fashion, right? Talking about a guy where like, take away like all the trauma and all the whole hazing piece of this. And just simply look at the fact that this is a guy who, you know, his whole situation, the way he came in um, with, you know, big recruit from a really well-known high school with big dreams. And then, you know, you get an injury and the career is over in the blink of an eye. But I bring that up because you get a situation like that where a player is sacrificing. He's making a sacrifice for us, for the program, for us, for the fans, right? Um, he makes this commitment to the team and the university, sees his, his career shut, cut short in the blink of an eye. And we as fans sometimes don't even notice that if our attention isn't drawn to it. And in the case of Devin O'Rourke, this was a four-star defensive end recruit. He was a massive recruit for Northwestern when he first signed, arrived with sky high hopes. We had sky high hopes for him. And then, you know, the poor guy saw his career marred all the way through by injury. And then in his final year, this perennially injured guy who was supposed to be a defensive end was basically given this absolutely thankless task of bulking up and playing defensive tackle for an entire year. That's a sacrifice he made for the team. It's a sacrifice he made for us that was going to have almost no upside. And that stuff matters. And I think if this summer taught us anything, it's that we all need to be better as fans about appreciating what our players have gone through and these things that kind of these tough moments that happen in the shadows and the need to kind of care about that. So, I mean, again, it's just like a shout out to Devin O'Rourke, who a guy who like, you know, went through, did not, did not get the career that he was hoping for. He dealt with so many injuries and he stepped up and he did a really hard job for us um, for an entire season that was just never going to get the appreciation it deserved. So, you know, to Devin O'Rourke, want to try to offer that here. But with all of this said, now we can look forward to this season. And I'll map out for you the sliver of hope, that like 5 to 10% scenario where we get this massive boost on this side of the ball. And as you can probably guess, it is just this simple. Ty Gann and Dylan Roberts both play, and they're both good. That's it. If that happens, it creates a cascade effect. Because the first thing that happens is Najee's story gets kicked back outside to the position he's basically designed in a lab to play, which is defensive end at Northwestern, okay? He would experience a massive boost in production just by making that switch to end. And then suddenly, Sean McLaughlin, who we should add, 
is the only Northwestern defensive lineman that a casual fan can actually name. He would be exactly what and where he should be as a large, hardworking cog across a powerful four-man front. And if all that happened, everything would just snap into place. And the effect on our defense would be so titanic that the rest of the conference would treat it like a miracle. I'm not kidding. With the snap of a finger, Northwestern would go from the worst run defense in the conference to one of the better run defenses in the conference. And like a guy like Bryce Gallagher would take a massive step up. Because instead of like hopelessly chasing running backs who would just burst through huge holes, he'd be stepping up into narrow holes and beating the tar out of people again and again, which he's fantastic at doing. And Northwestern would suddenly make it to third down, which is like alluded to before, where suddenly all of these guys I would love to spend forever talking about. Aiden Hubbard, Anto Saka, Richie Haggerty, Michael Kilbane, whoever else would go to work at defensive line. This load of pass rushing third down potential that we have, all of that would lock into place. And all those guys could actually go and chase down quarterbacks. It's the dream. It's what you should all be holding on to so tight until the season starts. It's where the hope is. But I am not here to sell you magic beans. And if you're saying the scenario you're talking about requires two freshmen, two true freshmen defensive tackles to absolutely hit, that is an extreme ask. You're right. I have no comeback to that. But I'm just being 100% real with you when I say that this is the only path that I see. And yes, we have this exciting, talented new D-line coach in Christian Smith. But as a point of reference, take a look at the defensive line that Smith inherits and compare it to the defensive line he left at FCS South Dakota State. From a pass rushing perspective, like a third down standpoint, it's not even close. Northwestern has this bevy of like high three and four star tweener rush ends. Kilbane, Saka, Hubbard, and then like, again, Richie Haggerty, an FCS transfer who was one of the stars of Smith's old conference, okay? This group, again, is so deep that its most talented player, probably, Najee's story, was farmed out to the interior. But it's zero exaggeration to say that if you don't count Ty Gann and Dylan Roberts, the interior of Northwestern's defensive line is almost identical to what Smith left at South Dakota State. It's almost literally true. You can go through their defensive tackles, South Dakota State's, and you'll see a bunch of guys who had zero FBS offers or like a single non-Power 5 offer. And a bunch of those guys had the same options that the majority of our own interior defensive line had, which is like take that non-Power 5 offer, probably play sparingly, or walk on at a Power 5 school, or play FCS football. It's really like almost an identical player pool. And really the difference is like the choices individual guys on each team made, whether to walk on, whether to take an FCS scholarship, whether to go to a non-P5 school, okay? And talking about this, and Scuzz talked about it before, but part of the reason these two units are so similar is that for the second year in a row, Northwestern just got crushed in the portal, right? So it's not just the fact that you have Tara Edwards and Austin Firestone going out the door to big-time defensive tackle recruits. It's what we're getting in. And of the two defensive tackles we pulled in this year, one of one of them, if you look at all the offers that he had in the portal, it was FCS teams with losing records and Northwestern. And according to that player's account, he was recruited off the tape from a single game, which I immediately went and watched. And he didn't play half the defensive snaps of that game. And that includes first and second down. And the other defensive tackle we pulled in played an entire season of Mountain West football last year and had four total solo tackles. 
which were against Cal Poly, UConn, and UNLV. We know how this dance goes. We lived it for all of last year, okay? And the cold hard fact here is there's a strong chance that, yes, two true defensive freshman defensive tackles don't hit, at least not right away. And if that does happen, everyone needs to prepare themselves for the fact that against the run, this defense, which was last year's number 14 run defense in the Big Ten, could feature one of the worst, if not the worst, anti-run defensive line in the Power Five, especially given the summer that this team just had. So we can all dream of the best case scenario. And for the love of God, please, please, please may the best case scenario happen. What wouldn't I do? Okay, we have all more than earned this. But if it doesn't happen, we just continue right on playing Ty Gant and Dylan Roberts. Just play them. Give them the reps. Just give them the reps. Play for the future. Just we'll pull this through this together. Um, and, you know, like I definitely remember some teams in the mid-aughts. Maybe Scuzz can, Scuzz can paint some of these rosy pictures for us. Where like some Northwestern teams with atrocious defenses scrap their way to 500. Um, and maybe that's the kind of team we're looking at. Um, and there's some magic on the other side of the ball. I don't know. Okay. There's going to be a that, better future. Yeah. That, that, there, then there's also the 2003 Northwestern defense, 2002 <laughs> Northwestern defense. I just, I think it's really important here. I just wanted to jump in. Um, yeah. Cause I like, obviously you're talking about, you're not, what we're not talking about here is effort or will to win or the character of these dudes. And we like, we know, we know some of the parents of players in the D line. We'd like, like we've been in our tailgate. we like, we know some of the guys that were, you know, part of the rotation last year who have, bulked up are back this season are working really hard on their game and this is not to 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 throw any shade or short shrift at, at those guys like i like Najee's story is out there playing his ass off right um out of bar sure. when he was inside was doing the same thing and there are other guys here that that are that, like the guys coming through the portal like this is just simply a it's like when i talk about iowa's offensive line being undersized it has nothing to do with like the quality or the effort or the intensity or the will to win of those guys. It's just a, it's just at a certain right. point in the trenches, it's physics folks. Yeah. It's, and again, it's like, you don't like, there's no, there's no worry about isolating any particular player here. I mean, again, I like, I want to stress aside from two true freshmen we have coming in, it's an entire unit, an entire position group that has one power five offer to its name. Okay. Like, Right. No one's isolating or highlighting or pulling anyone out here. And again, the only reason we brought up Najee's story is because, like, this dude is... I mean, again, my dream is he gets kicked out to end by this miraculous influx of talent we get from these true freshmen. And that, again, the cascade effect, it truly would. Like, I... I, If you tell me right now, those two dudes... And as Louis Vicaire pointed out this week, you're talking about Ty Gant who like stacked power five offers and Dylan Roberts, who is already one of the strongest players on our football team. Like it could happen. Like, I mean, like miracles do happen. I mean, like those two dudes could be really good. I remember a guy, Ty Robinson, defensive tackle at Nebraska. That guy came in like about the same profile as like a Ty Gant came in right away and was like a, a factor for Nebraska defensive tackle as a true freshman right off the bat. It could happen. It's the dream, okay? Like, and you you get that. You get all these pieces lock into place. And again, I can't stress enough, against the run, those dudes in the back seven will absolutely carry their, like, carry their weight. They will absolutely give them an inch. Those dudes will take a mile. I'm positive, okay? Um, but if this doesn't come together like this, 
And if it goes, if it all breaks bad, okay, like, at Scuzz said it, like, we as fans, we got to be here for these guys, okay? Um, we are in the camp, okay, of like, we are, relative to the events of this summer, we are not, we're all about support. We are not in the interest of like, chasing down who did what and except, we're like, we want to support the victims and we want to support the guys who are out on the field. And in particular, after what they've been through this summer, I don't want to see the swan song of Rod Hurd, uh, Coco Azuma, and Bryce Gallagher be drowned in, like, negativity, okay? Like, if this defense is still a mess against the run, those guys are still all going to have their moments of excellence, okay? And we need to be there to celebrate those moments. And we need to be here for this team and for these players long term. So, again, I'm not here to paint rosy pictures. There is that miracle lock-into-place scenario. Dear God, may it happen, but this is this is where we are. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation, and go Cats. All right, so Scuzz, let's talk about the offense here for a sec. And I, you know, whenever you listen to any national uh, talk show or any podcast who's not just supremely focused on Northwestern, whenever Northwestern comes up, just every, it's been a, you know, broken record. The offense is terrible. The offense is terrible. The offense is terrible. And yet we kept our offensive coordinator last year. And I, I don't want to like get you too riled up before you kick into gear here. But uh, <clears throat> yeah. To channel the aesthetic of one of our good friends, I'm filled with furious anger and lager. <laughs> um. Yeah, the the offense at Northwestern has been really easy to peg for the last few years, and that's why the talk track you hear, Sam, is what you just described. If you predict bad every year, you're basically on point. Um, when we all saw Peyton Ramsey and the Cats light up Maryland for 40 points in the first game of the post-Mick McCall era, we all thought that our hopes and dreams were coming true. A good offense and a good defense? Somebody pinch me! And then we all got pitched. Um, I mean, that team, like in, in the in the annals of Northwestern offense, you know, minus the rain. I'm not going to talk about the Randy Walker years because those were exceptional in certain ways. But um, that 2020 team, you know, they scored 24 points per game. It's pretty darn good. Um, but that dropped to 16 points per game in 2021. And stunningly, I did not think it could drop further went down to 13.3 points per game last year. Those three seasons all occurred with a top 10 draft pick at left tackle and a guy who's currently a starting running back in the NFL. Yep. WTF, you may ask. Um, I think that wide receiver development on this team and at tight end, for that matter, have been really rough. Uh, the offensive line has produced really exceptional talent, but has not developed as a cohesive unit. 
and the staff has missed on or misdeveloped the vast majority of quarterbacks that have come through the program uh, and tried to replace Clayton Thorson. So now, uh, I guess there's one other thing to throw out here. John, John, you pulled this um, as you were, I kind of teed you guys up with some, some, some thoughts uh, earlier this week. And, and John, you were looking at, I think, the S&P Plus numbers. The, the average Northwestern offense of the it's, last it's, decade. It's, it's scoring offense, but it's... <laughs> oh, scoring offense. All right. The, the, the Northwestern scoring offense of the last... Of the, last, the S&P Plus wouldn't be far off because I, I know how bad that's been. I've looked at it in the past. Um, we're like a hundred and second. That's the average, average over the last for the decade. past decade. Yes, and there's only I think two seasons prior to that decade that have been worse: 2016 and 20 and 1999. And that's between 1985 and now. There have only been two seasons outside of the past decade that were worse than the past decade has averaged, and that includes the second half of the 1980s. I guess you could, I guess one could argue like, oh, but you know, it's been an offensive explosion in college football and, and everybody's scoring and they're doing this and other thing. And I'm like, yeah, that doesn't make it better. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what everyone's doing. And guess who, guess who they learned that from, from yep. fucking us. Yeah. Kevin Wilson. God damn it. Um, I'm sorry, folks. I'm, I apologize. I'm going to get feisty. I'm, I'm uh, this, 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 this experience of preparing this offensive preview has made me like just really angry. And we have even talked about the fact that Northwestern refused to release depth charts last year. Like, whew. Um, so I just, I'm going to jump, jump ahead into 2023. It's like we're entering the matrix. These are the questions swirling in my, that have, that have swirled in my head over the course of the last like 15 months. Is Northwestern just a quarterback away from being good? Are they broadly talent deficient on offense? Is Mike Bajakian's system as bad as it has looked? Is Pat Fitzgerald the culprit for a bad offense all along? What about the position coaches? Should we reevaluate McCall? Was NU ever good at offense? Why does the spoon bend? Guys, <laughs> there is no spoon. Yeah, I, I know the answer to at least a couple of those questions, but yeah. <laughs> so before we try to wrap our head around the more esoteric uh, elements there, um, some basic personnel stuff for 2023. So um, let's start with O-line. It looks very different already. Uh, Man Bear Pete is gone to the Tennessee Titans, I believe. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, there is still plenty of talent on this offensive line. Northwestern has recruited very well. Um, yes, they lost, uh, you know, a, a nice recruit in Dylan Senda, who is coming in this year, but... Um, Beyond Man Bear Pete and then Ethan Whitaker, this unit is basically intact from last season. Um, now that that being said, uh, so there's there's an oddity. Um, thanks to Bradley Locker's keen eye at practice, we think we know what the starting five offensive linemen are. Um, and the oddity is Caleb Tiernan and Josh Preeb switching positions. So here here's what Locker observed, and that is. Um, Preeb at left tackle. Uh, and I guess he surmised some of this from, from seeing who was playing with the second team at one point. But Preeb at left tackle, um, D'Antonio at left guard, Ben Rather at center, Caleb Tiernan moving to right guard from right tackle where he backed up Weedekar last year, and then uh, Zach Franks coming in at right tackle. So um, that's, I don't know, that, that's, an, that's an interesting group. Rather was a big was a big recruit. Um, Tiernan was a big recruit. Preeb was a big recruit. Um 
Franks was a big recruit. Franks yeah. was a big recruit as well. You go to the second the second line, you've got Edwards, Herzog, Knox as a freshman, Josh Thompson. De- like most of these guys were decent recruits as well. Um, you're not even touching some guys, the two. and some guys that just we are like in love with. Like we, yeah. Nick Herzog, some of our favorite tape we've ever seen. Herzog Knox is like a yeah. a, a, a man among boys. Um, like this doesn't touch two of the other impressive freshmen in, in Anthony Bursa and and um, I think Alex Deuce that are coming in. So like, this is a impressive offensive line unit. Uh, there's plenty of talent here, but uh, it's a work in progress. And you you've even heard David Braun say specifically a couple of times the offensive line needs time in camp. They need to gel. Obviously, it's you know five brand new players playing together for the first time. They do not have the continuity. You've got guys switching positions. Um, I think Rayther stood in its center a couple times uh, last year, but but generally, you know, a, a lot of newness here. Um, and I, like I said this earlier, but it bears repeating: Kurt Anderson has two first-round draftees, but no great offensive lines at Northwestern. And I think it is it is valid to ask at this stage: is he is he just a really good recruiter and individual developer, or can he actually put together a really good unit? Um, I think it's also impossible to separate that from the offensive scheme and the offensive coordinator. So I like, I'm not trying to like throw Kurt Anderson on the bus here. I think I, we've been a very pro Anderson podcast I, but, all along, but along, like it's, along, these are questions yeah. we should be asking, along especially those lines, at the end of the season. Well, along those lines too, right? I mean, I think if, if, if it is true and it is true that Preeb is left tackle, like you can look at all these names and so many names where we see so much potential and so many guys are big recruits and et cetera. But if you asked, I think any Northwestern football fan, who's the best offensive lineman on this line, everyone's going to say Josh Preep. Like it's the guy that we've got the most experience with and the guy that we trust the most. And if he is moving to left tackle, that almost feels like saying, look, this guy's the best guy on our line and he's going out to left tackle, even though he has never played there. Like I think even he might've even played center for us at one point, but he's been a guard and it, it almost feels like, look like that this, that it, that it feels like for all the potential in this line, the the guy that they trust the most is the guy who's being kicked out to left tackle. And like, I mean, I, again, like I'm, I, yeah. you look at yeah. guys where again, you talked about where like, Caleb Tiernan looks like he was built in a lab to be an outside tackle. And I mean, he's what is we were talking, what is he like six, eight, three twenty five? Yeah, I think. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I mean, with all that, if you're moving Preeb to the left, you know, it, it speaks again to like, the, like you saying the reps thing and the thing of like trust and which of these guys has the most key reps and, and moving that and that they just may feel look like Preeb is, is the best guy and he's getting kicked out to tackle, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, so I'm I'm going to speculate here a little bit. So you know, Preeb had some struggles with pass pro his freshman year, especially against um, swim moves or not freshman, but but two years ago, especially against swim moves and such. Um, last year he showed some improvement. He got injured. He missed what like the back half of the season, I think. Um, Locker talked about in you know he got some reactions to to posting this on Twitter and and some people were asking about about the switch and he said yeah you know Tiernan struggled a little bit on the outside. I'm not surprised to see him move. Um, so we'll I, like. You know, are these five guys going to start in these five positions all year? I, I, I can't imagine that that's true. We're probably going to see some movement. There's, you know, like we mentioned, there's a lot of really intriguing and talented depth here. So um, it is going to be very interesting to watch this this group, you know, as, as we go forward. And it's, it's, a, it's a huge question mark. And I think it's undeniable that the offensive line has not been great at Northwestern the last 
three years. So, um, or two years. So we'll just, we'll, we'll let to see how, how we go. Um, and that's with a top 10 draft pick. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, and you can go back four years. In fact, you can go all the way back to 2019 when, uh, when Slater was playing too. And that, you know, he was phenomenal. He didn't give up a sack the whole year. Right. And there were, there were plenty of problems, but it's very hard to separate that from the quarterback, from the coordinators, from the coaching, you know, philosophy overall. Um, but that is what it is. So moving on, um, running back. So last year I thought it was going to be Cam Porter. I think that again, this year, um, I couldn't have been more wrong last year as Evan Hall emerged as frankly, the best player on the offense. He's currently the starting running back for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, I, you know, but Porter was a phenom as a freshman. He's a very physical, powerful runner. I think he was wasted in the wildcat, uh, this past year as, as has Anthony Tyus been wasted. Um, I don't understand why we run that the way we do. Uh, you know, in addition to Porter, Tyus is back. Uh, Joe Hyman is a very impressive looking freshman who comes in. There's, you know, so there's not like a crazy depth uh, of talent here at running back, but there's certainly a couple of different guys. We're probably going to see all three of them run this season. They're all very highly regarded uh, athletes. And um, Porter in particular, we've seen do spectacular things on the field. A big indicator for me on just like, the nature of the offense, like like the number one thing I'm looking for this year, and it's and it, it is, and I'll be honest, it has nothing to do with whether or not Northwestern should keep Bajakian. It's more about like what does the offense look like in the post in the post Pat Fitzgerald era. And a big indicator for me, and I, I and I do not think, let me just get tactical here. I do not think that during a game, Fitzgerald was making like like was chiming in to overrule or, or overrun his offensive coordinators or anything like that. Right. So like, I, I don't exactly know how, how this could play out this way, but like he sets the philosophy for the team. Right. And that dictates some of the, some of the guardrails and some of the, the boundaries of the way things are structured and the way, the way, you know, games are scripted. Um, but last year, the wildcat was, a, a catastrophe. We we ran it in weird situations when it didn't make any sense. We ran it way too often. We ran it with like never any sort of counteraction or passing to try and make it like confusing for a defense. It was the most predictable approach and boring thing that you could have possibly come up with. And like, are we going to see that again? Are we going to see something like executed more intelligently? Will it be abandoned completely? This is going to be a fascinating thing that I will be intrigued to watch. Um, like Ryan Halinski, um, Ben Bryant, uh, who I think is going to be the starter, is not a mobile quarterback. So do not expect much running QB to open things up for the running backs. Um, I just it's going to be a really interesting um, kind of harbinger for me of of what what the head coach change has meant or could mean for the offense of Northwestern going forward. There are, there are a couple things here. This, this position group, even though as, again, as you're saying, as we record this right now, this position group just lost the current starting running back for the Indianapolis Colts. And with Jonathan Taylor trying to seek a, a road out of town from Indianapolis, like no one's trying to kick Evan Hall out of this role right now. Like He's going to get his chance to eat here, but relative to Cam Porter, one of the big things, Bill Simmons has I think maybe coined this, but like the year after the year, 
for guys that have really bad injuries. And then mm, a lot of times that's a, that's a great point. A guy goes through his recovery and then you're like, oh, he's back on the field now. But I think it was pretty clear, especially after the very beginning of the season, that Cam Porter is just like, you just can't, especially once you start taking that beating again. And I think specifically of Isaiah Bowser as a guy who like, we watched that poor guy play with like play on one leg for like two seasons and just kind of thought it was over for him. And then he slowly got healthy and then went to UCF and had a fantastic end to his career. And it's like, Guys can get healthier, but sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes that recovery doesn't match up with like a neat timetable. So like the year after the year, like there may be some real potential for Cam Porter there. And then Joe Hyman, for me, for those of us who actually sat in the stands and sat through the Illinois game, like getting to see that guy on the field for a little bit was one of the only highlights. Like that guy had all kinds of crazy numbers, I think in out of Birmingham, I want to say in Alabama. And, um, He's like, you see the speed when he's out there. Like that guy's a burner and he's going to be an exciting guy to watch with the ball in his hands. So like Northwestern doesn't lack for great running backs that, that potentially could do some big things for us. 100%. Um, so wide receiver is very interesting and very different. Um, two transfers and one true freshman in the top six kind of tells you in part why Northwestern let Dennis Springer go last year. Um I just think this is a group that has really struggled um, for for years now to produce. I mean, you know, you had Austin Carr, uh, you had Kyle Prater transferring in. Um, you've had like I'm not trying to besmirch like there's there's been really good players. You know, um, uh, Stefan Robinson came in and was was really good for Northwestern. You had uh, 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 Ramad Chucky Bowman um, who who really emerged as a playmaker and a and a um, big play threat for Northwestern in 2020. Um, there's, you know, a lot of excitement that has come through this, this wide receiver room, but, um, but we're, we're like, if you were, if you were to get optimistic and, and excited about something about this team, this next year, this is the thing. Um, AJ Henning's the headliner. He was a absolutely massive uh, prospect coming out of Illinois. Um, we were crestfallen when he picked Michigan over Northwestern. And, but that's it. He didn't do all that much with the Wolverines. Now, he was a big-time punt returner for them, and they used his speed a lot uh, to open space for their offense um, you know, horizontally last year. Um, but, and, and, that, and that's where he's, um, he's a clear asset for Northwestern. He is a speed upgrade. Like, I, I can't emphasize that enough. Um, this dude brings a level of speed that we haven't seen at Northwestern very much. Um, I mean, like... Venerick Mark type <laughs> type action here. Um, and you've heard Bajakian say and or Braun say in, in preseason, you know, conversations like they want to get him the ball. He is going to be a feature of this offense. I think it is going to be very interesting how they use him, whether it's as a true number one more, you know, that downfield threat, kind of like Stefan Robinson played in 2021 or more like a Malik Washington, you know, coming from the slot, moving around like, you know, sitting in space and trying to, um, you know, trying to use his speed to break uh, long gains or attacking down the middle of the field and the seam as, as Malik was so effective at doing last year at times. Um, like I said, the speed is palpable. I think good for him will look like outperforming those other guys. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that he can be a bigger impact transfer than Robinson was. Um, I think the quarterback situation, uh, gives a lot of reason for optimism and upside there. But again, so much of it is going to depend on how this offense is, is run 
this year. Uh, Bryce Kurtz is uh, a, a, presumed, a presumed starter. This is his third season in a, you know, more high volume role. He just couldn't get going last year. I think he was struggling with his, some injuries too. And, but like in my mind, I like thinking about Kurtz in that 2020 season, um, the, the, the times he got out there on the field, like he's more of an intermediate receiver. He's not the, he's not a quick, like quick out and try to, you know, use speed to get by somebody. Um, you need time for his routes to develop and the offense the last couple of years did not afford a lot of time for routes to develop. So, um, Hopefully he has more opportunity this year as a result. Um, and then the third guy in the mix right now, uh, again, according to kind of lockers sleuthing at, at practice, is Cam Johnson. And Johnson's a transfer from um, Arizona State, previously from Vanderbilt. I see him much like a Donnie Navarro type player. He's not going to blow your socks off, but he'll, he'll be productive. He'll be good out there. He's experienced. He's got multiple seasons of, of, of contributing to Power 5 teams. Um. He was a, a decent recruit, certainly not at the level of Henning, but um, this is a good player for Northwestern that we're going to see. We're going to see a lot behind these guys. Uh, Frank Covey is uh, one of the players listed in 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 the two deep. This guy is a, a, a freshman speed demon. Um, I'm I'm surprised not to see uh, Jacob Gill's another name there, somebody who we've, we've seen play. I'm surprised not to see Reggie Florima or C.J. Johnson. Um, CJ Starscream Johnson, uh, I might say, uh, as, as, as two names that I'm hoping we'll hear a little bit more from this year, but um, they don't appear to be in the mix at the moment. And then you've got um, basically all the tight ends from last year are back. Thomas Gordon, Charlie Mangieri, um, uh, uh, Marshall Lang, all played. Uh, you, you've got some interesting talent that has come in. You've got um, a lot of experience there. Uh, I... I I'm expecting to see a lot of them. They've already been like, I think Mangieri has been named specifically as a leader on the team um, who's been helping to lead the locker room. Um, we know Gordon has, you know, big time playmaking ability. Again, looking for, for optimism or, or, or signals of success. Like when Bajakian was at Boston college the year before he came to Northwestern, his bread and butter was power running and then play action over the top to tight ends unheralded tight ends, I might add, um, going deep. And this was extremely successful for Boston College. Um, I think if you've listened to our other previews, you hear me you've heard me talk about like the air raid systems that are coming to play in Wisconsin and Purdue and like how critical it is for them to not just be rolling out four wideouts, but to be using tight ends because of, of the strength of Big Ten defenses and the size of Big Ten defenses. Um, this, this can be an asset for Northwestern. It should be an asset for Northwestern. I don't know why it hasn't been an asset for Northwestern the last two years, but um, but we'll see what what can happen there. Well, real quick, I there are a couple things that that I wanted to say. One of the biggest ones is you mentioned the tight ends. I honestly think that one of the biggest weapons on this team is going to be Thomas Gordon. Um, yeah, I well, he should be. He yeah, should be. And I think one of the things that everyone, because I, I, we all know, by the second half of last season, a lot of you were either watching through your fingers or tuning out. And one of the things that you may have missed is after being at times electric in the first half of the season, Thomas Gordon, um, he had an upper body injury and he basically shut it down. Like they, like they made, they made the decision to shut him down and rest him up and, and heal him up with an eye on this coming season. So this is a guy who ideally is healthy now and was an absolute impact performer. Um, that guy, he delivered, and in a couple games in spectacular fashion. 
But then the other thing, Scuzz, I, I think about this only because you've brought it up multiple years, I mean, many times, is there are so many teams that Northwestern plays in a given year where that team has a massive receiver as their primary target. A guy who's like a 6'4", you know, wide receiver, who is a big target. They can run him over the middle. They can use him in all kinds of ways. That's just a matchup nightmare. And then Northwestern's always struggling in that over the years, there have always been these guys where we're like, okay, that's going to be the guy or that's going to be the guy, right? And that those guys will show up on the depth chart and we'll be like, oh, okay, finally we're going to see this guy. And then it just never materializes. Yep. And it feels like this season we don't even have the illusion of that. You look at the top six guys, it's six guys where they're pushing six feet, each one of them, and a lot of them are well under that. Florima is the one. I mean, he's he's the physical specimen, right? Um, or or if you could use – like if Thomas Gordon could could operate as a Drake Dunsmore. I mean, Dunsmore basically played wide out. In a in a quasi tight end body, but um, it was he was a he was a matchup nightmare for defensive backs, and he was too fast for linebackers. Like that's that's the dream is that you've got somebody who's too big for a DB and and too fast for a linebacker. And Gordon could fit that bill, but we have to use him and we have to target him in that way. And you can't you can't you can't do these these things where like um, God, where where your offense doesn't have any any kind of continuity or or um where you have concepts that just don't play or take advantage of that because you've preordained that you're gonna you know run run your quarterback or you know slam it in the line or whatever um right so i like this is where this is where this is where the dark the the the, the proverbial rain cloud hovers over my mentality with with this offense um so at quarterback, Ben Bryant is coming to Northwestern from Cincinnati. He was really good at Eastern Michigan in 2021. Uh, he improved when he stepped up in class with Cincinnati in 2022. Uh, the best indicator of his improvement was that he went from 14 touchdowns to 21 uh, while keeping his interceptions flat at seven. Um, he's listed as a dual threat QB coming out of high school, but he has negative career rushing yards. So he's going to be a pocket passer. Um, all that being said, like before I can really talk about, well, I, I'm not even really going to talk about Ben Bryant or, or Brendan Sullivan. I mean, we like both these guys can play. They, you know, Brendan Sullivan completed something like 74% of his passes last year. Like he can be accurate. You, you saw him run around. He had some moxie, he had some gamesmanship. Like there's some, there's some talent in the quarterback room and maybe more than we've had in the past, but I, I need to go back in time. I need to talk about another transfer quarterback. And this is this is this is probably the piece that's got me just most like fired up, having sifted through all this over the last week and a half. I, was, I told Sam and John, I texted you guys that I uh, uh, we my we visited my family in Minnesota this past week, and I was like mulling this for five and a half hours uh, yeah. on the drive back through through <laughs> Illinois, um, and then switched drive switched with my wife, and, and she started driving. I just hammered them with like a bevy of texts, being like, "Oh my god." Um, but, but here it is. Uh, I want to talk about Peyton Ramsey. And here's why. Peyton Ramsey's year at Northwestern was his worst as a college quarterback. Career low in completion percentage. By a lot. Tied his career low in yards per attempt. Reverted to his sophomore season worst pick rate. That's all really flippin' weird for a senior quarterback 
a senior heady quarterback given the keys to run an offense for the, you know, after having had to share the load a bit at Indiana. And then not only that, but, but like a division winning Northwestern team that, you you know, what's really depressing about that. Like he was widely considered the best quarterback we've had in a long, long time. Yep. It was his worst year as a college quarterback. I think we were that something like the 91st, best scoring offense in the country that year or something along those lines. Typically, if you see a drop in completion percentage like that, so he went from like, he was, I think he was close to 70 uh, the year prior. Yeah, 68% in in, uh, 2019 with Indiana. Dropped to 61 at Northwestern. Prior two years, he was 66 and then 65 and a half. So that's a, that's a big drop. Typically, if you see that kind of a percentage drop in a QB when they switch systems, it's because they are throwing deeper passes or being a bit more ag- aggressive. And the drop in completion percentage is offset by an increase in yards per attempt. And, and you feel good about it if, if you know, that more aggressive um, approach to throwing doesn't result in more interceptions. That would be good. By the way, that's exactly what Ben Bryant did going from <laughs> Eastern Michigan to Cincinnati. However, Ramsey declined in all three of these categories. And don't give me any nonsense about strength of schedule because he faced Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State the prior year at Indiana. So this is like, I'll be honest, this can holistically be attributed to Pat Fitzgerald and, J- um, and, and Mike Bajakian. And it's not just this data point. This point of view colors some, not all, not all, but some of what we've seen with Hunter Johnson and Ryan Holinsky quarterback at Northwestern the last five years has been the antithesis of development and growth. And it's the most important position on the field. Now we spent a lot of time at the end of the, like during the the 2019 season talking about how Mick McCall had to go. And when he finally did, we had a very, we had a great conversation with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. And one of the things that we brought up, and that Adam fully agreed was, was something to be mindful of and thoughtful of is with a new offensive coordinator at Northwestern and Pajikian had already been named or I, maybe he hadn't been named, but it was like, we, we knew it was going to be him. Um, would Fitzgerald basically change his mentality around offense and allow an offensive coordinator to modernize the offense and do different things unequivocally. The past three nope. years, the answer to that is no. Unequivocally. Now, like McCall's, like that does not change the fact that McCall's offensive concept was a problem. But even within that problematic concept, his quarterback development was pretty damn good. I mean, Thorson and Bechet. They, yeah, I mean, in person, I mean, he's per, got good quarterbacks Persa, on his, on his per, docket for sure. Coulter, Simeon. Pretty darn good. Northwestern was above 25 points per game for about six years in a row. That's like, they haven't touched that since Thorson left. They haven't come close to that since Thorson left. Now, to me, when I, when I, when I pull all that together, I think about the last 10 years and that, that offensive, that, that scoring offense stat that we talked about before, 102nd in the nation. Everything we know about how bad S&P Plus has been. All what you said off the top, Sammy, about every like 
every Northwestern preview. It's just, it's, it's, it's pre-written, right? You don't even need chat GPT to pre-write the Northwestern offensive preview. It's that they're going to be bad. They're going to be conservative. They're going to be bad. And they're going to try to win with defense. And they're going to try to like shorten the game and make it a one score game and, and try to out execute the opponent. And that's all being done in the face of a complete mindset change and revolution in the way offensive football is designed and scripted and, and executed. And to me, the, the last five years, if not the last 10, are a glowing example of the stubbornness and arrogance that brought you Jim O'Neill and brought you Fitzgerald's stunning fall from grace last month. Said, said another way, Fitzgerald has a terrible track record on the offensive side of the ball, and it's exacerbated by his conservative style and his extreme loyalty to underperforming assistance. And the decision to keep bajaking after the last two years is frankly wild. Well, and that's that's the this is the key question, right? Because the 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 hope that you're it's like the equivalent of what I'm talking about two true freshman defensive linemen needing to develop almost immediately. And that being the super simple yet super just like, it's just that it's so simple to say, right. And it's like on, on your side of the ball, it's so simple to be like, you know, is there some situation where now untethered can Mike Bajakian succeed? Right. And it's, it's possible. I, my, I guess it's, it's, it's the best quarterback room that I think he's probably had since right. Ramsey. There are more weapons on this team than the last couple of years. Yep. Um, yes, the environment the last three months has been has has been totally crazy. Here's the thing: if Pat Fitzgerald were not gone, if if like erase July from from like let's pretend it did not happen, we're doing this preview in June. I'm basically talking about this offense as like, well, they've added this talent, but they're gonna run the same offense you've seen the last two years. Best case, best case is the offense we saw in 2020 scoring 24 points a game. That's not good enough with no. what you're seeing on the defensive side. I, I totally agree. I have this pit of my stomach feeling that you may be right in that an offensive coordinator now, thus untethered, would be able to succeed. And I am just not sure if that is Mike Bajakian. hundred percent. And I think like, like you alluded to, I mean, two, two, two things can be true that right. Fitz was the culprit for holding this offense down. And Mike Bajakian was very willing to play within that sandbox. And I think, so it's something that, that we were, you know, looking at and especially for you younger college football fans that may not be as connected to this. There is a piece of this that, that I can provide a quick history lesson for you on Midwest college football here. Um, so a couple of years ago, the sporting news ranked the best quarterbacks in Mac mid American conference history. And Ben Roethlisberger was number one and Byron Leftwich was number two, but it is really important that you understand that those guys are number one and number two because of what they did after they left the Mac and went to the net to the NFL. Because if we're only looking at college production, there are only two guys in this conversation and really in the conversation for greatest Mac football player in history. 
And the answer for any Illinois person to how Jordan Lynch somehow is not the greatest Mac football player ever is that Dan Lefevre was even better. Dan Lefevre was a quarterback for Central Michigan in what the er, the mid to late aughts. Who is the greatest Mac football player ever? Okay, this guy had close to thirteen thousand passing yards. He had a hundred fifty touchdowns passing and running at Central Michigan. He was a four year starter for Central Michigan. He was the Mac freshman of the year. He was. First team All-Mac at quarterback three times. He was second team All-Mac quarterback once. He is by almost every measure the best quarterback the Mac has ever had and most likely the best football player the Mac has ever had. And he was the quarterback for the first three of Mike Bajakian's 12 years as an offensive coordinator. And during those three years... Mike Bajakian's offense averaged number 22 in the nation in points scored. But the year before, with Dan Lefevre as a freshman, they were 23rd in the nation in points scored. So it basically stayed flat for those four years, okay? And if you separate Mike Bajakian's three years with the greatest Mac football player ever from his nine other years at four teams in four other conferences... In those nine other years, he produced zero top 25 offenses. He produced two offenses, one offense better than 39th, two offenses better than 57th, and his average rank in scoring offenses across his last nine years as an offensive coordinator is 77th in the nation. So to my point, I don't know that this is the guy to unlock it. And I mean, to your point of like, how do we, I mean, I think we all know, like, right, that like a lot of the reason he is still here is because they didn't want to fire Jim O'Neill and Mike Bajakin in the same season. So ironic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah given, I know, right? given what's transpired. But and, um, and again, it's like, I mean, there's no doubt you can't have a guy's feet being held to the fire any more than this. Like there is no, there's no more make or break than the situation Mike Bajakian is facing right now. So, I mean, if Scuzz is right, and I mean, and this is, this is the needle, right? You thread that needle and you thread and he, and he is untethered and it does come alive and he does have a good quarter, you know, and, and, and those pieces fall into place. There you go. Like, it's like, if that's the miracle scenario, like we'll, we'll all take it in a second. Yeah, it's a lot, lot of ifs. It's a lot. It's a lot, a lot of ifs. It's a lot of ifs, and and he like so. I, like I said this to um, our friend Tom, who was, who was responding to some of the like. There, there's exciting talent on this offensive on the offensive side, uh, like, I, I'm really excited to watch Ben Bryant play. I'm really excited to see what, what AJ Henning can do in purple. Um, I you know Porter, there's guys on the O line like like Thomas Gordon. Like there's so much there's a lot of exciting things to watch on this offense. And um, I don't know to your point, John, if Bajakian's the guy to, to, to undo it. Like it, when, when Northwestern hired him, we said this, like we don't need Bajakian to have a top 25 offense. C- can we just have like a top 60 offense? That'd be great. We'd be happy with that. Cause we've been languishing in the nineties prior to that. Um, and we haven't gotten there. Um, there is there is a 
you know, a, a major league, well, I guess, I guess we better win the whole flipping thing, you know, vibe here because like, I don't, my, my, my theory is that a lot of this staff is going to turn over after this year. At the very least, I think Mike Bajakian is going to turn over after this year. And that's, that's like, like, I, I think he, I don't think he's coaching for his job with Northwestern in 2024. I think he's coaching for like, wherever, he, like, does he want to coach somewhere else next year? That's just my personal opinion. And that has nothing to do with like who he is. I just think that's the, 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 the way this is going to play out. I mean, we're, we're, we're chopping out. If, if Braun coaches well enough to get the head coaching job, he's going to want to bring in his guys. My opinion is that best case for Braun is is what Luke Fickle did for Ohio State after Jim Tressel. Mm, mm-hmm. That that like, that is that has been my perspective from you know since July 11th or whatever day it was. Like best case for Braun is we retain him as DC with with a new head coach now now maybe not i it's it's certainly plausible northwestern would decide like yeah no he did a good job like we'll keep him that's fine um i think the fact that he wasn't here prior to this year makes that plausible but i think i think coaches who were here prior to this year i, I don't think i don't think you can keep them on the staff after 2023 i think bajakian mcpherson mcgarrigal i like i, I just i just Derek. don't yeah i just don't see it i just don't see it and, and, and that's and that's not me. I am not ascribing any like right, wrong, could, should. Like this is just what I think is going to happen because I've watched college football for twenty five years. Well, let's just talk. About, I mean, and hey, let's talk about basketball, right? Let's talk about Chris Collins. It's never too late to find it. It's never too late yeah. to to make changes and have a spark and have some sort of miracle thing happen and. For the love of God, may it happen with Mike Bajakian, and may we finally find yeah. this here, like and and produce. It's just like you have to go back to when Brian Kelly was the coach of Cincinnati to go back to the last time Michael Mike Bajakian produced an offense that wasn't in like the seventieth range in the nation, and that includes stops at Tennessee and Boston College and Northwestern, and. You look at the track record over the past three years, including as Gus said, the year with Peyton Ramsey. And you're looking. T- was that with Brian Kelly or was that Butch Jones? Oh, Butch Jones, maybe. You're uh, right. I think it was. I think it was Butch Jones. Br- yeah. Kelly, yeah, Kelly. I think was Central Michigan. You're right. Um, and then, but I think Kelly. It, Kelly followed Jones. Right, right, yeah. right. But you're. But not to Tennessee. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Um, but you're. But right, you're looking for um, this massive leap. That that to your point, like to to get a level of improvement that's going to you know, continue the Bajakian era or something like that. Again, you would have to exceed what happened during the Peyton Ramsey era because Northwestern didn't win that season with offense. That was like the, something like nope. the 90-something nope. scoring offense in the country. So, yep. again, I mean, I mean, it's it's going to take an explosion, and may we get that kind of miracle. That's what we're going to need. Yeah. Um, yep. Well, and, I, and I, I started this thought earlier, and I didn't finish it, and I apologize. Um, so I'll go back to it now. But, I, you know, our, our friend – uh, Tom McGrath was had remarked on Twitter as we were talking about some of the potential on the offense. Like, gosh, if this team shocks the world, it's gonna like it's gonna be really hard. For, like, it's gonna be hard for me to figure out like how to how to process that, et cetera. And I said like, hey, listen, look at it this way: Ben Bryant and AJ Henning and Cam Johnson, they were not here prior to three months ago. 
I guess maybe five months ago, but regardless, they are new to Northwestern. And if Northwestern succeeds in 2023, it is in part because somehow our freshman defensive tackles come together and do some stuff on the defensive and the defense, you know, solidifies. I personally don't think that's going to be enough just because of the difficulty of, of navigating that thread. And I think you're going to have to have that step up in offense. Like you just said, John, um, they've got to do more than they did in 2020. And that is going to be Ben Bryan and AJ Henning and Cam Johnson um, making plays and uh, changing this offense and modernizing this offense and revitalizing this offense as a, it doesn't have to be pass heavy. It doesn't even have to be pass first, but as a relevant vertical, like efficient college offense um, that can throw the ball and score by throwing the ball. It doesn't just, you know, try to control everything and run the ball. Like it's, you know, 1994. And um, I have, I have no qualms rooting for those guys and hoping that they can pull that off. I think that'd be amazing. And I would love to see it. Yeah. And again, and it's like, again, too, like there are so many guys, like you have all these guys on the team across both sides of the ball, where it's like, there are a lot of guys where these are, I mean, just a random name. Let's take a guy like Zach Franks, right. Who is like a guy who's, this is a guy who had a Penn state offer. And he's definitely battled injuries throughout his career, right? And maybe this guy is finally getting his chance to start at tackle for this team, right? Maybe at right tackle. And maybe it all comes together for him and he gets all like the click and everything. And they're like, there are a bunch of those little moments, right? Where it's like maybe some of these guys who have been like banged up across this offensive line, across different, maybe it does all click into place. And this unit, like it works, right? And and a guy like Cam Porter, again, year after the year, like he comes through and it's healthy. And it's like, there are all of these little things, and then there there are these just two colossal things. If Northwestern gets quality defensive tackle play, most likely from their true freshman, and gets a big leap upward in offensive scheming, this team has as much talent as at least half the team on this half the teams on this schedule. It is not a talent situation here. It is a cohesiveness and scheme. And then this one specific hyper-specific area of the defensive line that needs to get fixed that would cascade to all the other areas of the defense. It's like, if you want to map out a sunshine and rainbows thing, it's not hard to do. It takes like two seconds to be like that and that. And then this team can absolutely go to war with a ton of teams on their schedule. It's just such a big ask. And it is such a big ask on top of everything that happened this summer that this would magically slide into place. Um, and that's why, I mean, again, we're, we're deeper into this team and the research on this team than anybody. You look around the rest of the nation, you don't see anyone buying what I am trying to sell right now. Um, but you know, I mean, again, I, I, John, I would, I would imagine half of our listeners are probably not buying what yeah, you're, what you're yeah, selling no, too, I, I know. And it, I mean, it's like, it's, that's the path. And then, you know, let's say you get one of them. What do you get? Let's say the defensive line does come together. What do we get? Let's say that, you know, we do get an improvement in offensive scheme. What do we get? You know, I, I don't know. Um, it's there. I think a, a lot of people, there are a lot of people who are trying to be as optimistic as optimistic as they can, right? And settling into a, a kind of four and eight kind of situation. Um, it's a big ask. Well, 
but yeah, before, sure. before we like start making predictions, let's just, I mean, we, we've talked about all the teams on the schedule. Let's just quickly run through the schedule one more time. Just to kind of remind ourselves what we're looking at. Um, September 3rd, Sunday uh, morning, 11 o'clock central against at Rutgers. Um, you know, we, we talked about them uh, a few weeks ago. Home against UTEP, uh, at Duke, home against Minnesota, Penn State, and Howard. Then the bye week at Nebraska, home for Maryland, Iowa at Wrigley, at Wisconsin, home for Purdue, at Illinois. It's not a hard schedule on its face in a normal year. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're catching Purdue at the right time. You may be catching Minnesota at the right time. You may be catching Nebraska at the right time. Good Lord. Once again, I'm seeing like ESPN has Nebraska winning seven games. And I'm like, oh, really? What? More than they've what? Like <laughs> more than they've won in any of the past, I think, eight seasons. Okay, sure. I mean, it's like, was Kirk, Her- was Kirk Herbstreet directly involved in writing that? Or did you farm it out to someone I mean, else? But I'm... But, Matt Matt Rule is a good hire. I, I think we all agree Matt Rule was a good hire. He's not going to turn things I around know. right off the And hop. it's just like, but again, it's like from where we sit, right? You're catching Minnesota at a good time. You're catching Nebraska at a good time. You're catching Purdue at a good time. You might be catching Maryland at a good time if certain things align or if, I mean, like, again, or depending on where Talia's at. Um, and then, again, like, you can't ask for a better conference game to start off with than Rutgers, like... I just want to remind everyone, and, and granted, it was after like some really bad shit. But like, in in Rule's first year at Baylor, they went one in eleven. Yeah, they're, and this is where like everyone's been talking about this too. I, again, I I'm not buying it at all. I'm just like, but it's, and then you know we have Howard as our homecoming game. We get Rutgers right, um, and and in UTEP again, depending on how UTEP breaks, maybe it's it's. These are not, it's not a talent perspective problem. It's specific vital flaws that are just backbreakers that nor, that it, it's just a massive ask given this, this summer and given what this team's gone through to fix those backbreaking flaws in this kind of year. And, and that's the thing. I mean, ESPN's got us two and 10 and they've got us 0 and 9. So you figure, I mean, they, they've got us beating Howard and UTEP and I think we've got what it takes to, to win those two games for sure. I mean, certainly Howard, there is the situation where if we don't get those two Titanic fixes, one on each side of the ball that we do need, UTEP's a coin flip for a bowl at least if they're not better. Um, and they will go to war with us in a second. Um, and, you know, Howard is Howard. But it it's just, it's tough because, yeah, like... Rutgers, like Rutgers is no great shakes by any stretch of the imagination. And if you want to know why they're six and a half point favorites, it's because of all the stuff that we're talking about right now. Seven, seven, now. seven now. Is it up to seven? Yeah. Wow. yeah. So I like, I, so I'm, I'm with you, John, like how, Howard is. So if you're going in, in order of likelihood, right? Howard's number one. UTEP is probably number two, especially cause it's a home game. Um, I'd put, you know, Rutgers at Rutgers next or maybe, maybe Purdue next um, in November. Uh, Rutgers fourth and then um, Nebraska, uh, but yeah, it's 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 rough sledding. And let let me be clear too, like we've been pretty. This has probably been as dire as we have ever. Oh yes, uh, prognosticated Northwestern. Um, yeah, it, in, it really has yeah. by, by a several orders of magnitude. And I just like as upset as I am about like some of these things that 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 I've like again. 
Northwestern did not release a depth chart last year. Yep. Ever. Ever. Yeah. I like I like there's some things that I'm just like really irate about in 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 hindsight. Um I I desperately want to be wrong about this team. I would love for them to shock oh, the yeah. shit out of people. I would love for them to be in the mix for for a bowl. I'd love for them to knock off somebody. Um I, like nothing nothing would bring me well, there's a couple like very little would bring me more joy than that this fall. Um and to be clear, I the expect just... the expectations are so low that four wins, five wins, I mean, you can get a celebration out of that, you know? I mean Damn straight. Yeah. Is it more is it more than one? Yeah. <laughs> Let's start right. here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it really is true. I mean above above Howard, I mean I, I know no one wants to look at UTEP this way. It's just UTEP's got a lot of going on. And um but I mean it's like anything anything above two, honestly. Because, I mean, Duke looks like a really good football team. Anything above two, you know, taking one out of the Big Ten, whoever that would be, that would be great. And for a situation where Braun continues on and, and does build a foundation here, like a win like that would be a great spark, you know. So would would love to see it. Um, and, yeah, I, I know it, there's I know that there is this funereal, funereal thing hanging over this pod in terms of like where we are and. And it's it's rough. I mean, I think we've we've tried to push through it and and map everything out. And again, it's like, yeah, if you want to go down Miracle Lane, Miracle Lane looks like this offense takes a step up. The defensive line locks into place to the great delight of the back seven who feast on that. Right. And then this group of mediocrity. And it's like, yep, you you knock off Rutgers, you get UTEP, you get Howard, you get Purdue, you get Nebraska. And let's say you get Minnesota and a miracle bowl. There you go. I mean, that's that's it. You want a path? There's the path. That is so close and yet a titanic gulf away from where we are right now. So it's like, I mean, we, we all want to dream for it. That's that's the, the miracle scenario, and, and we can hope, you know? Well, I mean, that, that kind of puts a bow on it. I mean, we'll be back next week to really kind of sink our teeth into this Purdue game. Uh, or excuse me, this Rutgers game. Why am I thinking Purdue? <laughs> um, <laughs> already trying to get the season over before it even begins. Do you get do Rutgers? You guys, do you guys think we'll get depth charts? I, I, God, I hope so. I know. I mean, I like it. It is to to be where we are right now, and to have again Bradley Locker sleuthing out what the offensive first and seconds look like based on film that was released. I mean, I I, I would say doing right by the fans by offering something like that up would be great. Um, it'd be great if we could get it. Um, and, and yeah. And then I, if we do get something like that, hopefully that'll help us kind of lock in. And, and at the very least, we'll be able to get a little bit more of a feel of, of what Rutgers is looking at. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Well, um, let's go ahead and uh, put a bow on this one. Um, Godspeed to all of us yeah. at the end of this college football season. Yeah, Godspeed to all of you. Godspeed to all of you too for listening. Who you know, we've we're we're almost to football here, and it has been a really really hard couple of months for everybody. And um, football's here now, and uh, so you know we've got that to head back into. A week zero coming up next week, and then uh, we'll be back, like I say, uh, to preview this Rutgers game. Hopefully, we'll have some depth charts to, to look into. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of rehashing this one all over again, and I don't think any of us wanted to do that. 
so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there. Uh, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skaz, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. 